You're listening to Of Slights and Men with Benji and Jacob. A Daily Magician Production. Hello, and welcome back to Of Slights and Men. Uh, we're, we're thrilled to be with a very special guest today that we wanted to talk to for a long time. But before we get into that, uh, my name is Jacob, and I'm joined by my co-host, Benji. Uh, for me, it's a, it's a beautiful morning uh, in New Jersey. We've got nice, lots of nice snow. How, how, how's it for you over there in England, Benji? You always ask me this, and I'm, I'm never... Every prepared. time, yeah, there's never quite an answer, is there? <laughs> it's a nice day, and it's made me nicer by the fact that we're joined by uh, Mr. Pitt Hartwing. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for having me on the podcast. We're really excited to have you on. Um, for anyone who's listening who doesn't know who Pitt is, uh, I actually pulled up like a kind of a bio in advance, but this is like, it's it's like four pages. So let me try and condense it, right? Because you've done a lot. So so Pitt, uh, first and foremost, is one of the, is a magician from Germany, um, probably one of the most popular uh, magicians in Germany, but he also performs worldwide for uh, thousands of different people at business events, private parties. Um, and he's very in demand, let's say, in the sort of world of the public performance. But in the internal magic world, he maybe is even even a bigger figure. Uh, is the author of two incredible books, Card Fictions, In Order to Amaze. Uh, I'll, I'll preface the podcast by saying if you haven't read them, uh, stop listening, read them, and then come back. Uh, his works have been praised by people like Juan Damaris, Simon Aronson, Eric Mead, Max Maven, Michael Close, Roberto Giobi. Uh, I sound like I'm listening off a who's who of like greats in magic, and, and they all have really good things to say about Pitt. And so we're humbled and honored and very excited to speak to Pitt today. <laughs> Thank you. Likewise, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Awesome. Great. Well, I would love to know. Um, it is, of course, the cliche question, and I'm sorry to make it answer you to make you answer it again. But mm-hmm. where did you? Where did it all start, Pitt? Where, where, how did you get into magic? Um, and how did all of this begin? Uh, yeah, there were actually a few things that happened pretty much at the same time. First was the the, the usual uh, magic set, magic box that we, mm-hmm. that we all had when we were kids, probably. So I had one of those. One of the old ones, um, actually, because I, I didn't, um, my parents didn't buy that, but I found one in, in my uh, aunt's basement. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. fascinated with those props that were still uh, made out of wood and, and all that. Um, and then somehow I got into that and my mother found um, the, the phone number of some uh, magic store in Munich, an actual mm-hmm. brick and mortar magic store when we still had those around. And um, so that's when mail ordering began. And my first repertoire, so to speak, was all those props, you know, the, the color changing uh, feather dusters and, and stuff like that, the square circle and uh, those things. And then um, when I was, I think, 15 or something, I um, came in touch with the Magic Circle here in Germany with a group in Frankfurt and somebody showed me card tricks. So that was new. And I, I thought, oh, but where can I get that stuff? Where did you get that from? And uh, and it turns out he got that from books. And that's when it uh, pretty much all changed because then I mm. went more to that. And that, of course, opened a whole a whole new world, so to speak. And yeah. That's how it all started. Mm-hmm. It's cool. Thank you. Uh, it's it's fun, isn't it? How much like magic kits have had an effect on kind of just yeah. the magic world in general. You, a lot of people can trace it back to that. 
isn't it the same for you, Benji? You 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 kind of had a magic kit, right? Yeah, honestly, it's hard, right? Because I think when you ask somebody what is the origin, there's probably several different moments they can pinpoint. Because I think most people at one, it's hard, right? Because I think most kid at one point or another gets a magic kit. So then it's almost like if they end up becoming a magician by any other reason, technically their first point of contact was a magic kit. And so it yeah. almost all, always ends up being that way, um, even though there might be other factors at play. But maybe I don't need to go so deep into that question. Yeah, I did get a magic <laughs> kit when I was young. <laughs> yeah. So I'm interested, where did this transition happen, Pit? So it's like, of course, you know, you start reading books, <laughs> but it's a big jump to start writing your own. Um, so when did, when did you realize, um, okay, uh -huh. I love magic, but I want to start full-time magic, you know? Yeah, well, that's two different things. The, the, um, the impulse, so to speak, for the first time writing something down, actually, other than personal notebooks, because I'm a big friend of lists, and um, I've got some mm. very early entries of just listing tricks that I liked. <laughs> so mm. when I was 15 or so, I did that a lot. But um, the first um, uh, set of lecture notes, for example, that was actually by request, more or less, because with the flicking fingers at the time, we were booked for the Desert Magic Seminar in Las Vegas, the Joe Stevens thing in 1998. And as part of that um, booking for, for the whole group, um, the organizers uh, let us know that they wanted some lectures. And for some reason, they, they specifically asked for, for a lecture of, of me as well as some other guys. Uh, but I didn't have a lecture at the time. So that's when I had to come up with a lecture, sort of. And um, yeah, that just made me select a few uh, effects and then actually write them up. And I did that uh, in, in German first. And then for this occasion, I, I did it in English. And yeah, that's how the, the little green lecture notes came to be. So it wasn't really my idea, but I enjoyed it. Yeah. Cool. And so... Did you, were you always, did you always know that you wanted to be in magic? Like, was it just like, okay, this is going to be my career path? Or did you do something else on the side? Did you go to university? I mean, like, how did it, so where did that transition happen? If I, if yeah, I, I, I never really thought too much about it. And I, I don't tend to think too much about where my life leads me. So um, <laughs> during school, I did magic all the time. And um, I got on the nerves of all my, my friends at school and that was great, of course, of course, because you every day you have an audience, right? <laughs> yeah. Voluntary audience or not? I mean, <laughs> that mm. uh, that uh, that depends. But um, yeah, pretty much every trick I read uh, and I, I could do technically, I tried out uh, sooner or later for for the guys there, and I performed a lot. Um, and then when I did my Abitur, which is the the, the exam at the end of your school uh, stuff before going to university. Um, it was still strictly a hobby. I mean, I did some, some, uh, I had some bookings, so to speak, on the side. And um, let me think. I was seventeen at the time, so that was after the after FISM, actually. Mm. Uh, and yeah, well, then there was some semi semi professional bookings. But during my my studies at university, it was all still not not uh, professional. Uh, I mean, it didn't make a living of that. Um, but as it got more and more, I, I had to make a decision and that's how it happened. I mean, it's, I never said I want to be a magician. And uh, as I always say, I didn't have to jump into cold water um, mm. because when I made the transition uh, by just not going to university anymore, yeah, right. <laughs> and the water was already quite nice, nice right. and warm. So it was, yeah, it, was not, it was less that you became a magician. It was more that you stopped not being a magician. Exactly. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Mm. Said it well. And 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 I think from what I read, you you studied um, literature, psychology, and philosophy. Now, mm -hmm. given of course you didn't, I mean you did you. 
because I think there's this tendency, right? It's like, oh, you didn't, you, you're a magician, and so you could have done this university thing, but instead you just did full time magic. But I think we shouldn't downplay the fact that, like, it's still, you probably learn a lot from doing that stuff. And, and how much of an impact has what you learn in the fields of like psychology, philosophy, literature? How much has that yeah. into your kind of magic as it's panned out? Well, it, it sort of uh, forms you a little bit as a person, I guess. Well, I usually say that what my, my studies of those subjects uh, mostly gave me was my love for the natural sciences because right. I had so much to do with, with all the other stuff and right. some of it was really hard to bear. I mean, it was right. just lots of talking. I mean, it always depends on the kind of teachers you have, obviously, as well. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I still enjoy all that. Um, but, for example, one part of my studies was uh, linguistics. And after a few years, um, I just reached the point where I said, yeah, okay, that's, that's fascinating. It's really interesting, but just tell me when you got it. And I don't have to right. <laughs> follow the whole process in, mm -hmm. in all its technical details. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, but well, it reflects maybe a little bit in a show that I do with, uh, Thomas, Thomas Frapps, one of the flicking finger buddies and mm -hmm. a good friend of mine from, from Munich. And um, Thomas actually studied physics, and he did um, an apprenticeship at, at uh, CERN uh, in, mm. in Geneva, in Switzerland. Um, so wow. I, I'm very interested in that as well. <laughs> yeah. So one day, about I don't know, 15 years ago or so, we we sat down and we said, let's let's do some show with with our shared interest and in, in fascination mm. for science, um, and and that yeah, that really helped I think to have some sort of academic background for that right even though it's not a lecture of course i mean it's still a show but as we, at least we know a little bit what we're talking about mm. that helps yeah sorry if i can Manjia. i'm just mm -hmm. i'm just fascinated by this <laughs> so when you go about creating a show like that um kind of where do you start because you know obviously I'm, I'm thinking of like cern um because mm -hmm. i mean i've been lucky enough to to do a tour of cern and it, it's fascinating i mean yeah i mean uh yeah just an amazing place where you know, the world's getting changed every day. Yeah. Um, I, I want to know kind of where do you start? Like as far as like, right. where you're like, clarity, okay. you know, yeah, like, if it's a like... presentation, you got to, you, you move from yeah. CERN to be in a very clear, simple premise. Right. <laughs> That's quite a challenge, right? Yeah, well, for that specific show, the way we started is just to take uh, a big sheet of paper and just write down everything we like, we are interested in. So it was like Kelvin and Hobbes cartoons and Douglas Adams and Monty Python and the Muppets and stuff like that. Not necessarily only it. magic things and, um, and Gary Larson cartoons and yeah, all the different aspects, whether they would explicitly make it into, into the show or not. Some of them was just like the, the spirit of that thing, you know, uh, and not, not a specific uh, trick about the Muppet show or something. It's not like that. Um, but then more specifically, we, we decided which topics we would like to talk about and see whether we could have some ideas for the show. Um, so there, there are a, a few like monologues, you know, where we're very uh, theatrical mm -hmm. with a, with a fourth wall. So where we don't address the audience, but we just uh, talk to each other sitting at a small table and Thomas is reading a book and tells me about some scientific phenomenon or some discovery that he reads about and I'm like the, the, the funny guy who doesn't understand it and doesn't get it. <laughs> and um, so stuff happens uh, on my side of the table because I misunderstood Thomas. So I said, oh, I, mm. I didn't know that's possible. Mm. Oh, thanks for telling me. <laughs> so that's that's one um, one aspect of that. 
And in other things, we just present uh, fictitious, weird devices and machines that can have some quantum entanglement or whatever, and use that for for actual magic tricks. So mm. we have um, uh, we beam a, a shoe from one side of the stage to the other, for example, and mm. to demonstrate um, teleportation and stuff like that. So, but the, the science is all um, actually correct and, and precise. We just present it in a, in a, a fictitious right. in a fictitious right. way. Fun, yeah, yeah, sounds awesome. I, I love that. I love the idea of uh, combining kind of it's, it's actually kind of what we were talking about yesterday with uh, Jason uh, Ladonia here, how he, he was telling us, and I know I said his name, second name wrong, uh, <laughs> I apologize to him. Um, but he was talking about how kind of just taking people into this world and almost like creating a movie, uh, or I guess in, in your guys' case, I don't know, almost like watching a really interesting documentary, <laughs> but like these, like, that these kind of um scientific things they're talking about are actually happening in front of their eyes so i love that idea of just kind of combining it but kind of allowing the audience to go on that, that journey with you while learning something so yeah, that, yeah. that's really great and i actually found the the limitations um helped to be creative because you're not mm. sitting in front of the right. empty sheet and then and you're completely paralyzed because you can do everything but you have this little framework of of uh, topics that you're moving inside of and and that helped to to spark ideas and um yeah mm. yeah well speaking of um sparking ideas obviously on this show is a collaborative effort a lot of uh your work i know you and dennis are close friends and you often mm -hmm. have these breakthroughs together how <laughs> important is it for you to to be when you're coming up with ideas like what i don't know i don't know what the right way to ask this question is hopefully you, you yeah. catch my drift yeah. How important is it for you to be collaborating with someone to come up with stuff? Because obviously you can do it by yourself and, and you have, but like, what's the difference? Yeah, well, for me, it's just easier to to come up with stuff when I when I talk. <laughs> so mm. uh, and, and also when I when I walk. Uh, so the, mm. the best way for me is not to sit at home at my desk and, and try and come up with something because usually nothing much happens and I don't actually do that. I mean, who does that? Who sits down and says, no, I want to have an idea. It's not, that's not how it works for me, at least. Um, but just, yeah, walking with somebody or talking on the phone and, and um, letting your mind wander in that way, that sometimes, um, that sometimes works. I mean, the, one of the best things I've, I've seen about creativity was a talk by John Cleese, um, and you can find it online if you just enter John Cleese and creativity. And he talks about um, a state of mind, so where you are, we're just playful, basically. So you're just playing around and uh, non non judgmental, as they say. So you don't evaluate your your ideas or whatever comes to mind. And it's very easy to to break that state of mind. I mean, just the, the all day uh, office work will get you out of it in a second. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but that, I found that this is how it usually works. And after you have that first idea, then of course start the, the actual work of. Um, trying to make a trick out of it or a three-phase routine or going back and forth and changing and refining and all that. Um, yeah, but for ideas, uh, that usually works quite well for me. Yeah, and, and as a follow-up on this whole kind of, I, I like how we're do going down this creative angle. Um, I've, I can't remember exactly where I read it, but I, I read somewhere that you have sort of two main approaches when, it's on, when it comes to uh, effects, which mm -hmm. is that you may either start with the kind of effects and let that in, inspire the method, or you might start with an amazing method and think, how can I pl apply this to an effect? Sure. Do you yeah. ever, like, what is, 
the kind of what's the split on that and how do you balance them because they seem like quite contrasting and somebody might be forgiven for thinking somebody either thinks binary right so there's somebody who always is thinking in terms of effects or somebody who's always thinking yeah. in terms of effort uh, but you're, you seem to be fluid in between them sure i mean whatever whatever works right i mean uh, whatever happens happens and most ideas aren't very good anyway <laughs> but, uh, uh, the, the difference, <laughs> for example with this show with thomas that's a clear example where we mostly started from the effects or or even a level above that the, the phenomenon let's say so we knew we wanted to talk about i don't know uh, iq for example and we wanted to make some iq test where we scan the audience and it turns out we have two peaks on our, our graph there. One is a very, very brilliant genius guy, obviously, with a very high peak. Mm -hmm. And the other one is just the opposite. It's very, very low down there. We say, <laughs> oh, hello. Nice <laughs> to have you as well. So we bring them on stage. And now we wanted to sort of demonstrate their differences in IQ, <laughs> which is obviously it's a silly comedy thing but and the idea is that the guy that we think is really clever he uh, cannot solve the easiest problems so he fails all the time and the um, quote unquote stupid guy he is actually a genius who comes up with answers very quickly and and knows things and then it turns out that we uh, we held the graph upside down or, or so it was our mistake that's the, the punchline but there we had to find um, effects so we say okay so how do we demonstrate that this guy is a genius and how do we show that the other guy fails with the simplest uh, tasks so that's when we started from that side um, and in in my uh, other work with with cards usually it comes from the other side so there it happens that i i come across a, a clever method in some book um but then you find that it's really dry and boring <laughs> like like uh, for example um there's a trick in my uh, in the first set of lecture notes um chaos it's called chaos and uh, that's it uses a triple anti-pharaoh which is just dealing the deck into eight piles and, and stuff like that and the method the, the basic principle is really quite clever and I, I like that a lot but if you take it just as it is it's not it's not a good trick it's boring and it's uh, it's dealing packets you know so that sort of forces you to come up with a way to to tweak and twist that to make it entertaining and um, sometimes this triggers presentations that I for at least wouldn't have thought about otherwise so it makes it necessary to come up with with fun stuff to make the method work <laughs> so, yeah yeah it reminds me um maybe a an example of that might be the gilbert principle right where you, mm -hmm. maybe from the very first effect of that it was like look <laughs> this 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 thing is so cool why are we kind of limiting it like why why is it looking like this like why is it more impressive to us as the magician than the actual effect that comes out of it and, and obviously yeah. and there's a lot of clever stuff that have been done with yeah. it yeah, well, doesn't that happen to you also in, in lecture sometimes when you see people lecture and they, they perform the trick and it's okay, yeah, it's a, it's a so so trick. And then they explain it and, and suddenly you you love it. You say, Oh, that's yeah. so clever. That's usually a bad sign because I mean that part of the trick is the method, and people don't mm. see that. So and this shows you that you're doing it for yourself, basically. It's maybe not how it's supposed to be. I mean, as as a hobby, there's nothing nothing wrong with that, but if you perform for people. I think you'd, you'd better make them enjoy the, the stuff <laughs> as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I interrupt this podcast to give a brief shout out to our website, thedailymagician.com. If you haven't already signed up for our daily emails that will give you great content just like this podcast, please head over there and sign up now. That's thedailymagician.com. We promise that we won't disappoint you.
Actually, that, that, that's, that just brings up a good question. How do you do that, Pit? Because it's a hard one, right? Because you go so far down this rabbit hole of kind of you know magic theory and um, you're performing for magicians and you're creating effects with magicians. Um, and then, you know, sometimes it can be hard to distinguish, okay, is this just good because I like it? Or is it good because an audience would like it? And I'm interested, how do you actually, how do you distinguish that? Yeah, good question. I think, um, yeah, let me think about that. It's not so easy to answer. I think deep down, you know, whether it's just you or whether it works for the general public as well. I mean, to a certain degree, you can sort of softly force some things onto your spectators as well, to a certain degree. So mm. um, if you have enough honest fascination for something and it's not mm. too, too strange, then I find you can sometimes get people and, and make them make them care because they see mm -hmm. that you care so much. I mean, it, it's almost like suddenly you turn into a little character, sort of, because mm -hmm. sometimes it's not the, the fascination per se about the trick, but about seeing a guy liking something like that so much. So people go, look at that guy. Isn't he, isn't he weird enjoying that? thing and then if at the end you have an effect then that's sort of a bonus you know mm. um like for example one example that comes to mind is the the, the, the poker formulas I, i'm not mm. sure whether you're familiar with the trick but the effect is just that you can oh, yeah. deal any hand from a deck um but that's not how the, the the thing actually starts but the first thing you say is oh have i showed you the the poker formulas and then you, mm. you bring out those um, sheets of paper that are covered with uh, <laughs> tiny writing with just columns of numbers and for people that has some fascination I mean it's this you know this beautiful mind kind of vibe <laughs> where you're this crazy genius apparently right. um, so it, it doesn't start like a poker demonstration but it has this other thing that tells them a little bit more about yourself and um, that that can be interesting in itself uh, mm. I think yeah yeah because I, I think the advice obviously is pretty sound, like do things that the audience like. But if we took it on its kind of face value, right, and, and really stuck to it, absolutely. Um, it could lead towards what every magician says, well, okay, let's let's look at this like quantitatively. Uh, let's measure reactions. Okay, it looks like audiences like this <laughs> in this category. And suddenly everyone's a stage magician doing, I don't know, some kind of like stage magic thing. And it's like, well, maybe stage magic objectively gets better reactions than card magic, but you're not going to just go and do stage magic because you also have to be true to yourself. And so I think there's definitely a line. I think you did a good job of uh, explaining that. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, th I mean, if you if you really do what the audience likes, I mean, first of all, um, how do you know? Mm. I mean, there are some, some things that we all know people like. I mean, the sponge balls and the floating table, that everybody likes that, or, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, but how, how can you be sure about the other things that they haven't seen yet? I mean, you just have to go out and, and try it and see whether they like it or whether you can make them like it or whether at least they can enjoy you liking it. <laughs> mm, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. on the topic of um, people liking stuff, the, a lot of people very much like some of your routines. Uh, I'm thinking of one man in particular, which is David Blaine. How, how does it feel when you see people like David Blaine performing your kind of effects and uh, you almost yeah. like this shadowy figure that 1% of people actually know that you're the guy that created it? Ah, is that good or how do you feel about that? Uh, yeah, it happened like only once or twice or so. So it's not a, not a big thing. He, <laughs> he, he performs so many great things. So I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm happy he, he enjoys it. And uh, 
but it's I, I don't tend to be proud about stuff. I mean, I, I like if people give me nice feedback, but if they don't, then uh, that's that's also fine. I mean, my my audience is the most important thing. And um, but in this case, David actually had a good idea. I mean, he used this um, finger flicker trick mm -hmm. uh, in one of his specials, but um, he had the spectator do the the flick. Mm. Um, so that uh, that actually added uh, a nice mm. touch. So yeah, no, it's great. And and if you had to. If you just were dreaming, who, which magician would you want performing your stuff? Like, if you could go and watch any magician perform, who would you be the most kind of like honored? Oh, no, no one really. I mean, if if anybody wants to do any of my stuff, <laughs> that's fine. And if they don't, that's that's perfectly all right as well. So there, I don't have any any guy that I would dream to do a trick of mine. I mean, no, no, it doesn't work that way. Um, there are some people that I just admire very much and um, that I enjoy watching perform so that's that's the more important thing and well sometimes i think it's it's good if dennis does a trick or two of mine because i do so much of his stuff i don't feel so guilty <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's oh, good. Yeah. well that's 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 a good answer i was kind of hoping you'd say benji wilkins but i'll, I'll live with that <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course it's yeah. you <laughs> you benji I'll, I'll please take all yeah. of my repertoire <laughs> and use it and, and wear my wear my clothes as well yeah. <laughs> while you're at it just you know what join the boys <laughs> you're now a finger flicker oh <laughs> uh, yeah great um I, although i am interested um uh, it's kind of interesting so Obviously, um, okay, I, I, I can tell that you don't, you probably t don't like to hear this, but you're kind of at the top of the game as far as um, the magic world goes. <laughs> Whatever that means, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, I'm wondering kind of who still inspires you and where do you get inspiration from? Is it mostly just from, like you were saying, of like, okay, let's take this principle and apply it to magic? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, because obviously we all know that we need to, well, at least not all of us, but um, we try and be constantly learning and growing, right, in life. Um, and I'm interested, kind of, where does that come from? Is, is it more just kind of a race against yourself or are there magicians that still do really inspire you? And if so, like, who are they and kind of... Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think you get the question. Yeah, first of all, it's it's not a race at all, so it's not a, it's not a competition. Right, exactly. Uh, I don't sit down and say, now I want to achieve uh, such and such goal or something. <laughs> I just do my thing, whatever I enjoy. I mean, that's one of the great luxuries we have as a magician uh, that I, I don't have a, a boss really to tell me what to do and when to do it. I, I just do it on my own pace and um, the way I, I enjoy it. Uh, so that said, um, sources of inspiration are uh, everywhere, basically. I mean, I there are some people I just in, enjoy watching so much and some shows that I, I walk out of like I'm on, on I'm walking on clouds or something. Mm. And um, mm. like Juan Tamariz uh, is, is one clear example. I've seen Juan perform so many times where I really had this feeling of, okay, so I like that so much. But um, also completely different styles like uh, René Lavant, I also, mm enjoyed watching him and mm. a, a trap that I found that sometimes I, I fell into was that whenever I see a guy um, that I really like um, perform, then for the next day or two, I want to be him, you know, and then when I right. see somebody else who has a completely different style, like René Lavant, uh, that's, a, that's a contrast to, to Juan, for example, then I said, oh, yes, this, uh, I have to go into storytelling. <laughs> and, I, and after a few years, however, you, you get to learn yourself much better and then uh, you know what what actually suits you and what doesn't. I mean, 
but um, that doesn't mean that I can't enjoy the other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, we yeah, had the kind same of, thing, but uh, yeah. it, rather than a day, it probably lasted a, a few years, right? <laughs> but <that's>, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put that down to us being younger. So yeah, there's this uh, Woody Allen movie Zelik. You know that, uh, where he is like a human chameleon. So whenever mm. he is around uh, Orthodox Jews, for example, as, or some rabbi, then suddenly he grows his hair. You know, <laughs> and it, it, it grows automatically, <laughs> and he, he looks like those guys. And when he's around completely different people, then he t sort of takes their personality. And I mean, that's just a, a very funny concept and a, and a very mm. nice uh, idea. But it's a little bit like that, uh, artistically speaking. Mm. So I think it's it's actually okay. I mean, to to try out all sorts of things and then doing it on stage in front of an audience over the years, you mm. you start realizing what works and what doesn't. Mm. But um, it's not something you would decide. I mean, it's just something yeah. you learn by by doing it. I, I guess I remember. I remember how I used to watch Danny Duarte's, and I so much want mm. to be Danny Duarte's. But I was, yeah, yeah, right. because like, I'm, you know, I'm pretty like skinny guy. I run a bit, and it's like, oh, I am fat now, <laughs> and it's like it doesn't <laughs> work. <you know? laughs> it doesn't make sense, but you still want to do it, right? Yeah, I mean. For a while, why not just just try it? I mean, when I when I started out, also with the flicking fingers and some some other shows I did together with another uh, friend, um, I did some what you would call character work. So I played different characters, and um, the the liberating thing about that was if you are on stage not officially being yourself, suddenly you allow yourself behaviors that you wouldn't allow yourself in front of people uh, mm. normally. And that shows you that your 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 repertoire of behavior, let's say, is actually much larger than you thought. I mean, at least that's what happened to me. And so sometimes uh, suddenly you use you, you find yourself screaming on stage or, or whispering or stuff like that. That if you if you're not familiar with those things, you wouldn't usually do. Um, and then you can, of course, use those well, let's say, tools. Uh, even in your in your own work when when you perform as yourself. So it's which is always a little bit of a character as well. Of course, nobody is, is, is on stage uh, completely uh, as, as a private person, as, as himself. It's always mm. a character. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Because um, I feel like we've talked about this with other guests, but sometimes something that you can kind of um, neglect uh, as a magician is to remember that you are in that theater setting uh, and to study also theatrical kind of uh, aspects of of performing as far as you know what do they do um in broadway or you know how how do they make this entertaining for the audience you know uh, and how can i capture the audience in, in the same way uh, and yeah. it kind of sounds like that's something you you're playing around with there right where you're playing around with your acting okay how does the audience react when i act like this you know how does the audience react when i use this ploy and is that something that you kind of that's come naturally or did you like proactively kind of search for that yeah no that's just something that i enjoy doing i mean just I, that I, you're good at around and I'm, I'm silly in, in everyday life as well. So mm -hmm. it's just something that happens. Um, uh, I actually separate the two things a little bit. So when I do um, this, this Heinz character, for example, that's mm -hmm. just, um, uh, it's a, a comedy routine really. And um, I mean, it's, I don't really consider it so much a magic act, even though there are effects happening, but um, I've done that act mm -hmm. on, on comedy festivals, for example, where they wouldn't even book magicians usually, but that, that works there. Um, oh, that's cool. Uh, yeah, I'm not an actor. So if you told me I have to play this character and, and you know, feel like this person would feel, then I probably couldn't do it because I'm not trained in that. 
but mm. uh, it is something else to play a different person or to act in a way that you pretend to be in a situation that you're not in so for example if you if you um if you pretend that something went wrong that is sort of acting in a way or if you pretend that you are very excited about something so this is more the way i i, I use that um and when i say a uh, theater and when you say a theatrical setting uh it can also have a, a danger of um separating the audience from the effect in a way so if if you, mm. you do a trick take david blaine for example his his approach is very much now and here so he does it in the real world there's I mean, he has, he has this mysterious presentation where he doesn't speak yeah. much and all that. Right. But it's not like you have some elaborate stage setup or you're not inviting people into a other world. So it's not um, uh, now I am the car mechanic or now I'm the whatever, you know, it's it's ha happening here and now. And the, the acting techniques are just to communicate clearly mm -hmm. I mean, how to how to speak, how to pick up objects, stuff like that. You don't necessarily have to be. I don't know, Willy Wonka or somebody. Mm -hmm. There's a <laughs> Willy Wonka. I love how that's what you want. <laughs> yeah. Damn it, that's what I wanted to be. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fine. <laughs> the well, let's 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 uh let's pivot a little bit for a moment, because Pitt, we're we're thrilled to be talking to you about magic, but I also want to make sure we uh, do you justice and, and talk about uh, I guess just just Pitt the, the person. So I've heard an interesting fact is that you are um, I, I don't know if you would class yourself as an expert. I don't know if there are experts in this, but the field of um, ambigran, ambigran, is that how you say? Oh, yeah. And I have literally only just noticed this morning that that is what's on the inside of your books, uh, where yeah. it says you know new yeah. moniker or card fictions. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm definitely not an expert. I mean, if you had asked me ten years ago, I probably would have said, "Oh, yeah, well, I know a little bit about that. Uh, I've done, I don't know, a hundred ambigrams or so." But now, if you if you look on the internet, and um, it's actually one of the few Facebook groups that I'm a member of is um, "Fellow Ambigramists." It's called, <laughs> and um, yeah, to see what people uh, post there is just incredible. So now I, I'm I'm very very sure that I'm not an expert <laughs> at all because. I just, <laughs> doodle you know with a with a pen and a, and a piece of paper um but yeah um thomas actually introduced me to ambigrams and for those people who don't know what an ambigram is it's just a word that can be flipped upside down and then either spells a different word or it's um point symmetrical and it's the same word uh, upside down and um uh, scott kim was the guy who wrote one of the first books if not the first book about that called inversions mm. so he called them inversions not not ambigrams and um the, he calls them i think calligraphic cartwheels and mm. it's just brilliant i mean amazing stuff really if if you like this kind of thing mm -hmm. and then they became a bit more popular in this um dan brown book uh, illuminati is that the title of the book or angels and demons yeah, the Da Vinci yeah. Code. Right? That's that's the one exactly. Of course, where they have earth, wind, no earth, air, fire, water, um, as ambigrams, mm. and those were actually designed by um, a guy called John Langdon, and so he does wonderful ambigrams. And the main character of the book is, I think, Robert Langdon. So the name is like mm. an homage to to John Langdon who did the ambigrams for the, for the book. Um, yeah, that's just something I enjoy. Is it because now I'm interested because actually it's jogging my memory that I think I, I saw somebody share something one time where because obviously you have ambigrams, you can also have 
uh, a palindrome. Is that the right thing when it's it spells mm-hmm. the same for? Do you ever have cases where you've been able to do like a palindrome and an ambigram? Because I think I've seen well, a palindrome uh, refers to the letters in a word, um, yeah. so not about the way the letters are written. So mm-hmm. ambigrams are more about the design of the word. Um, and in a way, I think you could say an ambigram is a palindrome, but uh, not really, because the the word still starts with a different letter that it, that it ends with. And the fascinating thing is that you force it into symmetry, so to speak. Mm. So it's a question of a balance of symmetry and readability. And yeah, the, the challenge is to make something read quite natural, so not hard to decipher, but at the same time have this absolute symmetry. And um, yeah, and then that's what what makes it fascinating. And I mean, there are better and and not so good solutions to every word. But uh, Scott Kim, for example, he has this uh, standing challenge that he can make an ambigram of pretty much any word or your name, wow. for example, within five minutes or so. No and I, I've seen him do it on on just a, a napkin or so. So he, he's a, a genius. Yeah. He can That's flip crazy. things upside down in his head. And mm. and there's no method to it as well. I mean, there are now ambigram generators online, and they work sort of okay. Mm-hmm. But um, it's not just uh, having a database of every letter flipping into a different into every other letter because sometimes you have like two and a half letters this way are part of one other letter the other way. So for every word, you just have to do it again from scratch and come up with a solution. It's it's really yeah, it's fascinating. I think what I'm just remembering is it was a I think it was a palindrome and it was an ambigram and I think it was a date. It was it was the twelfth of the second, twenty twenty one. Oh yeah, with this digital digital kind of lettering. Yeah, like I think so. Clock. Yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, there are things that are like natural mm-hmm. ambigrams almost. I think one of the very first uh, historic ambigrams is the word "chump." I think mm. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but if you write that uh, pretty much normally, you can very easily make that into an, an ambigram that turns upside down. And that was in some magazine in the last. In the, in the 19th century, I think, already. Um, yeah, somebody just wow. discovered that, but it wasn't by design, really. I briefly pause this podcast to give a shout-out to the Daily Magician Tapes collection. This is a growing collection of exclusive audio training and interviews with some of the world's best, including the magician that you're listening to right now. If you'd like to find out more about the Daily Magician tapes, head over to thedailymagician.com slash tapes. That's thedailymagician.com slash tapes. We'll see you there. Well, okay. this is this is fascinating, um, but I also don't want to lose our audience too much, um, although we may have yeah. picked, a few Sorry, we picked up all the letters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure we've made a few new... Uh, Typography 101. People, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people are frantically Google. Googling right yeah. now. To <laughs> That's what I did because I, yeah. I wanted to have a look at them for real. So I've been looking at images this whole yeah. time. Actually, let, me, let me send in the chat real quick before we move on. So Jacob can just see what I was talking about. Uh, 2021. Right there. So that, see, look, it goes 12.02.2021. So if you were to read that backwards, it's still 12.02.2021. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a palindrome. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you have that. That happens from time to time, but in this case, you can easily write it as an ambigram as well using those um, like digital lettering. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah, that's true. Take my fancy. All right, uh, let's ask you a, a magic question. <laughs> uh, the, so your your experience in the escorial uh, is that how you say escorial? Escorial, yes. Spanish school. Um, so you, but also you're, you're a German magician. You, you perform with other German magicians. So you have kind of like a foot in both camps, right? Uh, Spanish scene and the German. 
What, what's mm. the main difference between the two? Because I know when we spoke to a kind of mutual acquaintance, Maurice Muller, he talked about how the Spanish gatherings were awesome, but they would be totally different if they happened in Germany. Because well, for one, everyone would turn up on time. <laughs> what what <are> the differences <laughs> between them? Well, uh, I, I wasn't part of the group from the beginning. Obviously, the Escorial meetings—they—they've uh, been going on for almost forty years now. But um, the way they started is that there was a group of, of Spanish guys with Arturo Yascano and Juan and Pepe Puchol and some, some others who um, sat together. And I think Juan had the sort of vision to have uh, one, one weekend every year where people would come together and discuss topics that were um, set in advance. So you have one year of studying and thinking about the things and then people go together and exchange their results. And um, so they would pick a, a technical topic and a historical topic and maybe a book or a person about whose, whose work to, to, to speak. And um, yeah, so he wanted to do that. And he proposed that to his friends and they said, well, but uh, are you paying the people to come and, and do lectures and, and talks? And he said, no, no, no. And they are, but then you pay for their trips. And he said, no, no, they all pay for that themselves and, and the accommodation and, and the food. So they said, well, I don't think this is going to happen. Nobody's going to come because why, why would they pay for that and not have anything from it? It's not a booking. And uh, apart from that, after a few years, you will run out of topics. And then legend has it that the next day in the morning, Juan uh, came down, or probably knowing Juan, probably not in the morning, probably the afternoon. <laughs> and, um, and he said, yeah, listen, guys, I thought about that. And um, I don't know whether people will come. But um, here are the topics for the next hundred years. <laughs> so, and then he had those uh, pieces of paper with wow. a, a big list uh, of like a hundred people, a hundred books. 100 no wonder he got up late. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and and this has been going on forever now, and it's uh, yeah. I, I I don't go every year. I, I used to go more often than I do at the moment because it's um, they have it. Mm. Uh, at the weekend in October, and that's unfortunately exactly the time uh, or starting when when I have like high season for for mm. corporate bookings, and then it's always a little um, not so easy to to go. Uh, but we actually do have a similar thing in Germany that's called the card workshop, and that's also been on going on for thirty years now, and that was the the direct. Um, uh, copy of that let's say so some of the people said let's let's do something like this and this is very much alive and kicking and some very interesting good and and young people and um, yeah we set the topics for the next year and then we we do exactly that and it's it's really it's fun it's really good what was the question again <laughs> just the i think you answered it really uh, just the you know the differences between the the spanish scene and the german scene given that you have experience in both but i, I think you did a good job of yeah 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 so there was no legendary story where you came down in the morning pit and yeah. down a piece of paper with a hundred <laughs> 200 topics, topics. This time. <laughs> no, no, still working on that yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah um, two is ambigrans yeah three is palindromes yeah <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, maybe maybe quickly about the so-called Spanish school. I think the the borders blur uh, more and more uh, over time. Mm. Um, but uh, back in the day, it, it used to be um, really more like a school of thought. Now, fortunately, um, the the word has spread, and there you can find people all over the world um, approaching magic in this way. But I think one of the differences has been that. Now, how can I <laughs> explain that in a nutshell? Um, Juan, for example, he 
he actually studied what's going on in the spectators' minds as they are watching magic tricks, or that's the theory at least. So they had surveys. I mean, they did performances and they oh, wow. put in people with buses, you know, and afterwards they handed out little questionnaires just to see what people would remember, for example, what they liked the most or where they would have ideas how a certain trick is done and stuff like that to see um, how you can actually, uh, yeah, how to can how you can make magic really deceptive. And this is also where the um, theory that the magic way and the theory of the false solution came in. So the idea that it's not enough if people don't know how you did it, because if, if they assume some other method that you didn't use, but you might as well, you know, then it's they didn't experience this feeling of impossibility either. So for example, if you do a false transfer to make a coin disappear, and suppose your technique is flawless and they don't see it and they don't even suspect it, as, as um, Erdnays would say, um, it's no good if they think you just threw it up your sleeve. You know, then mm. they still think they, they mm. knew how you did it and it's not, not very magical. So you'd better cancel all the wrong solutions as well by, by simply, for example, just rolling up your sleeve before doing the trick and then you have canceled that. And all this is to make, um, to create this, this feeling of, of true magic, you know? Um, for example, I, if I see a plane flying in the sky, I can't tell you all the details of how it works. I don't really know the physics of that, right. but it's not magical because I know that somebody could explain it to me. And there is an explanation, but mm. uh, Simon Aronson put it nicely uh, when he wrote uh, that there is a world of a difference between people not knowing how something is done versus them knowing that it can't be done. Mm. And, and this is what, what you strive for uh, as a magician, at least not in every, in every number. Sometimes something can be just very funny or poetic or dramatic. But once in a while, I think you'd, you'd better try to create that feeling. Yeah. Hmm. I, I, in fact, I think that leads us pretty perfectly on to um, your books, because I, I think a lot of the things that are described in them is all about that. Um, so I'd love to know, um, well, just first of all, when you've spoken a little about, you know, your lecture notes was kind of the first time you started to write things down. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, and a lot of obviously magicians produce books. So when did when did all of this start? When did you know? Okay, I need to produce these books, and what what was kind of the driving force behind that? Good question. I don't I don't really know. I mean, I wrote card fictions in two thousand and three, um, and I think I just enjoyed uh, the the lecture notes and and writing about that. And then in in the time in between, there had been a few new routines that I felt were now uh, tested enough, so to speak. I, I wouldn't want to publish something like two years after coming up with it because experience has shown that it keeps changing. Uh, but then I, I felt the time is right to, to write those things down. And of course I was wrong. So now I, I put out mm -hmm. the new edition of Card Fictions with changes <laughs> to those routines. <laughs> but at least there were, yeah, you could do them like, like there were... Um, explained and I still perform them. So that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I just enjoy the process of, of writing. And I, and I think it's it also helps because if you want to explain something in writing, you have to be really clear about it and to really know what you're doing and, and why it works. Um, and sometimes when I try to write something down and explain it, I, I realized, hmm, I, I don't really understand that so much or did I really think about that? And then it sort of forces you to go back and maybe um, rethink some things that you've been performing for quite a long time. Um, so writing really, 
I think somewhere I, I wrote it, it is like pressing fast forward on the evolution of a trick. If you really sit down and try to think it through so slowly that you can actually write it down. And, and um, yeah, that's part of it. Um, yeah, I love that. And, and so I guess what, other than getting that down and what, what was kind of the goal of the books as far as like, as you know, what if someone, okay, say like, okay, I go and pick up your two books today. What do you hope that I get out of them? Well, the, the goal, if you want to call it that, is just to provide people with with those tricks. I mean, to to add to the to the canon of of tricks. Really, um, Darwin Ortiz he formulated some criteria for publishing something, and uh, he said um, you should have to offer something new in either effect or method or presentation. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, then well, why publish, you know, and that's mm -hmm. uh, a common lament of Dennis as well, who, you know, keeps entering right. all those books into his archive. Someone publishes it, he has to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he, he's, he's getting the full redundancy right. flash, I guess, of, of stuff that is published, which is just minor variations of existing things or, or sometimes mm. stuff that better versions have been in print for decades. So then you can really wonder why why did the guy publish that maybe just to sell a book or to fill a book um so yeah i tried to avoid that as as far as i possibly could and there was some heavy editing going on of course uh, some would say not enough editing i guess but um yeah that's that's the goal to just contribute something um that that didn't that wasn't there before in, in exactly this this form mm. yeah yeah, and and also, it sounds sounds a bit cheesy, but maybe also a little bit to give something back because, I mean, I have like uh, 2,000 books standing here and that's where we get all our input from. So we might as well, if we have something to offer, um, not not guard that jealously, but just, yeah, give some of it back as, as cheesy as it sounds. It's yeah. still true. Yeah, and I think, um, I, well, obviously I'd recommend people pick up both, but, but personally, I there's something <laughs> about um, In Order to Amaze where, I guess there's this thing sometimes when you read magic books, you read it for utility, you know, mm. and you read it for the, for the output. Whereas this time I was reading, I was like, you know what, even if I don't perform any of these, uh, which mm. I since have, uh, cause they're amazing. I was like, even <laughs> if I don't perform any of these, like I've gained something just by reading it, you know, cause it's, it's, it's really, it feels really premium, right? It's, 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 there's so much care into it. It's just even, I don't know, it's fun as well, right? It's like seeing the effects description and then reading the method that in itself is like a little like dopamine hit where it's like oh i can't believe <laughs> you did that. like you you gain something just by reading it even if you don't perform anything uh, although you probably will go on and perform so I'd, I'd say definitely pick up both of them um i, I guess i'm biased because I, I like memduck stuff more but <laughs> card fictions is actually no card fictions has really uh, the one routine in there that's i guess it's maybe true for a lot of people but um unforgettable some of the mm. touches in there let's say have mm. been very very useful in so many of our applications so where can people pick them up uh, i think you sell them directly right um, i do yeah well first of all thanks a lot that's that's really kind of you uh, to say that um yeah you can now you can get them again because uh, they were out of print for a while or at least cartridge mm. was but um yeah i've, I've just have a shop on my website so pithartling.com uh slash shop i think mm -hmm. I hope. I think that's the, the right. I think that's. Yeah. I think that's right. Um, yeah. So I, I ship them myself and I sign them myself. So that's very easy to get at the moment. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Everyone needs to jump on that. Um, okay. I think we're kind of nearing the end of this podcast. Thank you so much, um, Pitt, for everything you've contributed. I mean, we we really were excited yeah. to have you on, and we are really grateful for 
uh, giving everything that you have given to the magic community. Because um, uh, we we really find your routines incredible. Um, especially yeah. when you're like talking about like the poker routine. That one is just Benji and I just laugh about it all the time. It's just such a such a fun <laughs> one with those huge sheets of paper. And when you know the method, it's even more hilarious. Yeah, we we um, laugh about it in a in a good way, but not in a yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> no, not not in a, yeah, not in a demeaning way. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so obviously. Okay, maybe that is a good example, right? The, the method for that that um that routine is is is, is pretty incredible, <laughs> pretty vast. Yeah. You know what? Um, I, I sometimes do that. I wanted to do a lecture one day that I call uh, method as presentation, because I found right. that true for some of the tricks that I that I do or that I came up with. It um, I just basically talk about what I'm doing really without the people realizing it or that mm. you do the method pretty much out in the open mm. and. Um, yeah, and you find sort of a funny, uh, weird, offbeat presentation that you probably wouldn't have come up with had it not been for the necessity of the method. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it doesn't always work, but when it does, it can be quite funny. And uh, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I mean, that is, I guess, my point with that is it's such a big. Like, I can't even imagine how you sat down and <laughs> and started to come up with that. Um, well, actually, maybe I should ask you, how did you sit down and come up with that? Because <laughs> while we have you on, I would actually like to well, know. The <laughs> formulas, you mean, know which one? The, the formulas. Yeah, popular formulas. Yeah, yeah well, that's, that is quite easy to, to uh, explain. I, I don't know whether it's in the book or not, but I read The, um, the Phantom at the Card Table. It's uh, about uh, Walter Scott, mm -hmm. who did um, blindfolded poker deals. So he would have a deck shuffled and he blindfold himself and then steal, uh, still deal himself a full house with aces and kings over and over. And the method was just a, a punch uh, mark on the aces and kings. So when you have shuffled deck and you, uh, you feel when the good cards are coming up, you do second deals to give them to your own hand. And I thought that's a pretty clever concept. And if you do it with a memorized deck, then theoretically it would mean that you could not only deal a uh, full house with aces right. and kings, but basically any hand and then i tried it and it didn't work because it's really difficult if you have to mentally recite <laughs> your stack and then remember which cards you already have and which are still missing and hold them back with second deals so i couldn't do it and then i thought the best would be to have some kind of uh yeah little bird that whispers in your ear exactly where you'd have to do the second deals and not think about <laughs> the, the order of the deck at all and then I asked a friend uh, whether he could write a program that would give me those numbers. And the result is the poker formulas. So that's that's how it happened. Pretty pretty straightforward, actually. No, no <laughs> if, you, if you say so. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a big mystery. I mean, it, 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 yeah. well, it works. <laughs> it's just, it's easy. It's just straightforward. <laughs> yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, was already there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, so, I mean, my point with that is um, thank you again, for, for solving those, those sort of, some of those sort of problems and, and sharing them with people. Um, what, so I guess kind of our big question that we like to ask guests um, mm -hmm. is, so, I mean, obviously there's a lot of problems in the world. Um, there's a lot of things that we, we can be solving. Um, and I guess really the question is, where does magic fit into that? Why do you spend time solving magical problems? And mm -hmm. what do you think that contributes in kind of like this grander scale? Yeah, well, two separate questions. The first question is quite easy to answer. Um, I think I just do magic and, and perform it and read about it and, and mm. because I love it. I mean, that's 
all the reason you need mm -hmm. I think, to do something. That's maybe one of the best reasons to do something. There, there are other reasons. I mean, being a professional magician, that's also how I make my, mm -hmm. my living and all that. So on, on some level, that might also be a reason for performing because I need to pay the rent. But that's not the reason for doing magic. I mean, you could mm. pay the rent with other things, other things as well. As well, but um, yeah. Um, and how it fits into the world, I'm not sure that everything we do needs to fit in, in, in into the world, so to speak. Mm. Um, but I find myself when I go out of a show or a concert or some event that I really got into, that I really loved, and it really gave me something. Um, I feel energized so to speak i mean I, I as i said sometimes i walk out like like i'm walking on clouds and i have a right. constant smile on my face for the following week and um, this is just such good energy um, if i can contribute a little bit to towards uh, having other people feel that way mm. uh, yeah then then that would be plenty i think um, so that's maybe the little good we can all do for, for other people who have maybe more important jobs. <laughs> like, I mean, there are <laughs> doctors and people who collect the, the trash and all that. So the really essential things, but they, they also need to recharge their, their batteries once in a while. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you so much. I think that, that's a, as, as good an answer as any. Um, and thank you um, for inspiring all of us and uh, allowing us to have that feeling because that is a similar feeling. What you're talking about is a similar feeling that we have watching your effects pit. So <laughs> thank you so much for, for everything you've contributed. Mm -hmm. um, unless you have any other questions, Benji, I no, think I we might good. end up the main podcast there. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Pitt. Um, before you go, is there, well, before we end out, um, is there anything that you'd like to kind of shout out? We've already talked a bit about your website. Is there any, if people want to reach you, uh, where should they go? Uh, well, basically, the best is just an email if you want to reach me. Um, there are so many communication channels uh, channels now. I mean, um, you get Instagram and Facebook and, and everything, but I don't check those regularly. So really, if you want to get in touch, uh, just send an email, uh, info at pithartling.de. And uh, other than that, thank you very much again for having me on the podcast and for uh, enduring my stream of consciousness flow <laughs> meanderings. Uh, so that was, that was fun with you guys. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thank you Appreciate so much. It. Okay, more another.